Welcome to The Lit Review, a podcast sparked by a moment of urgency, recognizing mass political education as key for our liberation struggles. Every week, your hosts, Paige May and Monica Trinidad, will chat with people we love and respect about relevant books for the movement. Everything from history to theories around gender to sci-fi and beyond. We know that political study is not accessible for a variety of reasons. The high cost of books, academic jargon, the failures of our underfunded school systems, time barriers, etc. Our hope is that this podcast helps address some of those issues, making critical knowledge more accessible to the masses. Think SparkNotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Paige May. Thanks for listening. Good morning, hey, and welcome to another episode of The Lit Review. Today we are with Jasmine Adams, a friend of mine from Asada's Daughters. I'm going to let her introduce herself in just a moment. The book that we're going to be talking about today is called Black on Black Violence, The Psychodynamics of Black Self-Annihilation in Service of White Domination by Amos Wilson. So I'm super excited. The title is amazing. Yeah. Um, and hey, welcome to The Lit Review. How you doing? Ah, I'm good. Good. Glad to be here. Yay, thank you. Um, it's very early in the morning. Well, early for recording a podcast, yeah. so extra big shout out to you. Um, can we start, can you just tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and why? Yeah, so I, my name is Jasmine. I am a recent graduate from Oberlin College and National Lewis University. I'm a fourth grade teacher. Last year I taught on Chicago's West Side, and this year I will be on the South Side. Um, I just feel like... Growing up, I tried to kind of figure out where I fit in the world and going away to Oberlin, which was like a super weird, traumatic, racially charged, but like growth experience. Kind of showed me that teachers are the ones that really influence kids in the immediate. So I kind of wanted to become a teacher because I feel like going to graduate school and like researching the thesis wasn't like, it wasn't realistic for the people that I knew. Like, me coming out with a 70-page document being like, I finished, like, I graduated, and I want you to read it. They're like, whoa, in the six years that you were away in this random state, like, all this stuff happened. Mm -hmm. um, so I really wanted to become a teacher to kind of affect change in the smallest way that I could in the immediate. Okay. Yeah. And what led you to, to read this book, Black on Black Violence? So in college, I was an undergraduate researcher, and so basically the Mellon Mays Undergraduate Fellowship is like this fellowship that's geared toward getting students of color to become college professors in fields that they're interested in. Um, and so my when I started researching, I just think I was researching like lack of resources in, in like Southside communities. Um, but the more that I started to read, I started to realize that it was like a lot deeper than that. And that was like my first time researching, so I really was kind of getting frustrated with the process. Just like reading all these books and being like, okay, what does this mean? And like the point of the research fellowship is you're supposed to like create this project and like present it to people and basically like come up with like some theory of what, what next. Like if you become a professor, like you're going to research this, but also like how can you implement this into where you go? Um, so I went on a trip to North Carolina. And I met this like super radical Southern family. They're like in this little town in North Carolina, like all the way by the water. And this was in their library. And they were just like, we know we're like way far down and no one knows who we are, but like the things that happen in the world still affect us. Um, 
and you should, you should read this book. So then my junior year, I came back and I read this book and my research changed completely. Um, it went from like just analyzing lack of resources to like how do the, how do the lack of resources in urban communities contribute to increases in gun violence. Mm -hmm. um, because I think I was just more so like, there are no grocery stores and like no police stations and no libraries. And that means that life sucks and the end. Mm -hmm. um, but after I read this book, I was kind of like, and now we have to realize that like people are putting this like bottle and shaking up. Mm -hmm. And then like, what do you expect? And then there are like all these intersections of communities crossing due to like lack of housing. And it's just like this big web and then we kind of get to the outside of the web where people are like losing their kids and then we're kind of like, what happened? Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you scale the web back and start at the center, this is what happens. Okay. So I felt really like at peace. I mean, not at peace because that's not like a solution to the problem, but I feel like I have more language to tell people that like black on black violence is like not somebody just wakes up angry one day and decides to kill someone else. Like there's this big, like connected, circle of things that contribute to those things and then also now I kind of know like if I want kids to be able to make different decisions in life and kind of understand what was being talked about in this book that me being a teacher makes sense mm -hmm. uh, can you so tell us a little bit more what uh what does Wilson talk about can you yeah. walk us through the book so basically Wilson begins he's just like talking about like why this book is important um and his introduction is pretty much he talks about like how in the media there's like this conversation of like deviancy and criminality in this very like racialized and most of the time gendered way. It's mostly black men a lot of the times. Um, and this book was written a long time ago, so I'd be interested to see like how he thinks about violence now. Um, and then he just like breaks down like each part of how criminality and like deviance fits into like these white values and norms that must be upheld regardless of the cost of like black life um and so he talks a lot just about how like black people in history have always been at the backdrop of white values and norms and a lot of those norms and values are predicated on black people being in very uncomfortable violent situations um, and so then when you put people in those situations and they, they, they can't, they're like in these very close knit geographical communities when they need a release, they tend to release on one another. Mm. Um, and also he talks about just like how history has made black people kind of fear themselves in a way. Um, and like how the way that the systems are set up black folks would never think to go and attack a white person or like that's the last thought the way that like our mentality has been said is that we kind of view each other as an enemy before we really realize what the enemy is and most of the times once we realize that it's like way far when we're in like our 30s and our 40s and we like accumulate all this knowledge after we like create these very unhealthy spaces um and so the book is more just like, for me, it was just like showing how the things that we do really affect the psychology of other black people. Mm -hmm. um, and then like, if that psychology is in a negative realm or a negative space, then like, what are the repercussions of that? And a lot of times that is 
black on black violence. But like that stems from like lack of housing, lack of food, lack of opportunities, lack of jobs, like just lack of things that if black folks had, white people would be shook basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so like what does it mean to take those things away which leads to violence, but then also white liberal people get on the news and just be like, I just don't understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. Actually, you do, because it's kind of upholding the systems that you participate in, like regardless of how like you feel like the world should be and how you feel like all folks should be equal, at some point in time, like if you really gave equality to black folks, the systems that you function under would be no longer. Yeah. So you, it's, well, let me just make sure I have this right. So you have um, a long history of white people understanding themselves and their whiteness and mm -hmm. the world with the assumption that black people are deviant and need a constant sort of punishment of some kind, mm -hmm. right? Um, that, yeah, they're not quite, they, they can't quite as, ever assimilate uh, and thus always have to be kept over there and that anything bad that happens to them is probably good because they're deviant. So then you have this creation of lack, right? Mm -hmm. Lack of this, lack of that, lack of this, which already is setting people up for failure, right? Mm -hmm. um, that lack, yeah, that it's not an accident that it's yeah. there. But you're saying that there's, it's, it's not just, oh, uh, we're gonna make sure that your schools are shut down, that you have inadequate housing, or you're, you're contained in the black belt, right? All these various things. But that there's also this, is it intentional psychological thing that's happening? Or is it sort of, is it, is it intended or is it more like a, a, a byproduct of that situation? Or are there sort of other things that are being done on purpose to make sure that it's not felt on just a material level, but also mentally? I think that he's talking more so about like, Black criminality and deviance is like a social construct that has its place mm -hmm. in the world. And like it was created for a very particular reason. I think that I was watching like the documentary 13 and they were talking about like the term super predator and mm -hmm. like how that was just like the thing like super predator, super predator and like how those phrases are specifically introduced to have their place. And so he's talking more so about like once whiteness and all these institutions were created, there had to be something for to keep them upheld, and that is where like black criminality and deviance comes from. Like you have to have, if white people are going to be comfortable in the world, like there has to be something for them to constantly say, "Oh, we need to crack down on this, mm -hmm. and we need to crack down on that." Um, and so he talked a lot about just like how. It's different to like take away resources if people are like psychologically free. Right. Um, and so when you take away like material things but also psychologically traumatize people, then that's like a twofold mm -hmm. cord that has been working well together to like keep black folks in a very particular situation that serves for whiteness to come in multifaceted forms because you can have like the super white racially charged like what we're seeing going on in Virginia and then you can have like the white sympathizer who both are still part of the same structure yeah but because of black criminality like white people can feel like they can like function in multiple spaces when technically they're still like in the same sphere mm -hmm. yeah I'm thinking about uh, the New York Times 
the main photo they used for their first story about Charlottesville. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. I only saw it on Twitter, so I don't know how it translated mm-hmm. in print. But on Twitter, the photo that they were using was you see it's a, there's a couple of stairs and the white supremacists are sort of retreating. They're on the top of the stairs and, re- and retreating, and they have this big pole sticking out. Uh, and there's a they're they're retreating from this black uh, group of of black men, one of which has some kind of uh, like flame thing that he's pointing at them, and like there's this big fire. Which it puts if you were to see that photo, what right. you see is a right. group of black men with like a flamethrower thing pointed at these old white people who are just pat like you yeah, know yeah, scared yeah, and like slouching yeah. in the corner with like a little stick that they're pointing out. And it, but that it's just nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. But then again, like Twitter, and you think about who who uses Twitter a yeah. lot, right? Yeah. Uh, and that what that does, intentional or not, but yeah. psychologically, what you see is yeah black people throwing fire at white people regardless um, of the mm-hmm. fact that they're like running people over and yeah. like and it's a white national like white supremacist rally like carrying swastikas yeah it's like oh but they tried to walk back up the stairs and like not beat no <laughs> yeah they were probably like, there were men beating black people in parking garages mm-hmm. right like who yeah. knows what happened yeah. before the fire came, yeah. you know, and that's just, that's it. yeah, okay, yeah. So we're seeing it in real time. The book is, I think it's from the 90s, yeah, if I remember yeah. right, but this is something that absolutely is still relevant. Yeah. How, how would you talk about this with folks in sort of black community where violence is taking place? Mm-hmm. Uh, people who have been affected by that violence or people who participate in that violence, what would you say about why it's happening yes. after reading this book? So I've tried to use this book to have lots of conversations, especially with parents, just like, um, so like my niece's father was killed my junior year of college, going into my senior year, um, but he lived in the hundreds, so that's like a whole mm-hmm. different stratosphere from where I live now, but at the same time, like some of the same things occurred, and just like trying to have conversations with, folk, with, with folks there, I feel like it was really weird to come and just be like, theory says, mm-hmm. <laughs> like blah, 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 blah. Um, so just like first, I always just approach it with just like, how are you feeling about like this loss that you've had? But then also like, do you understand that this is just, this is more than just like somebody retaliating against somebody else? Like we really, I mean, I think that personal responsibility is super important, especially in situations of loss, because a lot of people are like, I, I'm here for it. Like I understand that this has like a history, but someone took my kid, like mm-hmm. someone took my baby away. Um, and while I really want to meet you in that conversation, like I have to be able to deal with the grief and anger that I have in the moment, which has its place. But then it's also like if we continue to do the back and forth, like I feel this way because you took my kids, so I'm going to send someone to take your kid. Like it's this very seesaw effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that, I feel like I make space for people's grief and anger. But also it's like so now we need to make sure that we're angry for the right reasons and not the right people. Um, because I think like historically we have been set up in ways where we are really angry at one another and responsibility is super important and like communal responsibility is important and like communal health and we do need to check in with people when we do things wrong to them but at the same time like we have to understand the systems that have put us in situations that have made just basic communication unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I think it says something that folks now feel the need the first time that they feel some type of way or like are upset to grab a gun and kill someone like that in itself says something about 
the thing that he talks about in this book, like the systems that were created for these very reasons. Because I think that there was a time where folks would just be like, you did this to me, like, and it made me feel weird. And like, we need to talk about it. We may not be friends at the end of the day, but I just don't think that there has always been like this super reactionary, like violent interaction between black people when things don't go the right way. I mean, and I think that as history has progressed, those things have become more of a norm, but also we're in like this hyper capital, like hyper police state, hyper everything, where everything is like hyper. Mm -hmm. So like violence is on a hyper, it's like super, super quick, super reactionary. And then it's like, as soon as you commit a crime, you're in jail. <laughs> and it's like this very like feed in, feed out type of situation where I think that it can be different ways for us to deal with grief and things like that, but I think that just like having conversations with folks, like first meeting them where they're at, and then just being like, I know you probably will not read this book, but let me just read you some parts of this book to just understand like what's going on. Because then if we have kids, and I think he talked a lot about just like children in this book. Mm-hmm. Like now that we as adults know what systems we function in, like what happens when kids, like what what is our responsibility to kids? Like what is our responsibility to young children and like teens? Because if we don't hurry up and interrupt these systems, like it's just going to be this constant. Yeah. Does he give advice on that or do you have yeah, thoughts so he's, on he's talking a lot of, about just like I think that he has a chapter that's really about school um, and just like black motherhood mm-hmm. and then his last chapter is just like how to neutralize black on black violence for me I feel like especially being a teacher like it's just trying to like instill healthy ways of conflict resolution in my students um I worked on the west side and like I loved my kids but they were just dealing with a lot of stuff like just so much that I feel like kids should have to deal with and like the way that they would the way that they were used to just like dealing with like trauma and things like that was just to get violent which is fine like violence has its place and for me like just knowing that we're coming to a place in the world where like a revolution has to happen like I'm not gonna cap someone's violence because that that may be like the kid who needs that may be the kid who's like at the front of the light in the front of the line who's like we gotta do this like we gotta just tear it all down so i mean just teaching them like okay if someone hurts your feelings like you don't have to punch them Mm -hmm. you can like sit down and just say like it's okay to say someone hurt my feelings but then it's like also if you're hurting people's feelings like you need to be held responsible for that and you need to work on like ways that you can become a better person. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like a lot of, I want to say peace service, but just like giving kids time to like go sit and like calm down and then come back to the group and say, I didn't like what you guys said about me. Like, what can we do now? Um, and that's something small, but it's also just like, I had fourth graders, so they're technically babies. Mm-hmm. And hopefully my goal was for them to be able to say, oh, remember what we learned last year? Like now we're in fifth grade, we don't need to be arguing. Like we can just talk it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of those things will translate back to like, oh, well, me and my younger cousins, we used to just always just like fight and argue. But now like I go back and I'm like, you know what? We don't have to do that. And like the older people in our family see that we just don't there's no place for like us just being all up in arms for no reason but also just like teaching them about like there were little kids who used to like integrate schools and like be at the front of the lines who like were getting spit on and like hit with things and they were so cool calm and collected and there are different ways that you can like tap into your anger like if you want to be someone who is 
is the person that's at the front of the line that's ready to punch someone in the face like there's a space for you. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be the person that's like methodical and like is coming up with ways for us to like do things, then there's a space for you also. So just teaching them not ways to channel their anger, but just like letting them know that anger has its place. But like, what should your anger be for, and who should your anger right. be against? Right. Um, and it was really cool to see, like, we learned about the South Dakota Pipeline, because our first unit is, like, on the Haudenosaunee Native Americans. Um, and they were, like, really frustrated. Just, like, they're like, wait, I'm confused. <laughs> like, they're like, all they want is water um, and, like, this not, like, this poisonous gas and things not to be, like, put into their crops and things. And, like, I'm, they were like, we just don't understand, like, why that. <laughs> they're like, we don't understand, like, why that's not a, like, why that's a problem, but also... We would just see pictures of like little eight-year-old like kids on reservations being like sprayed in the face and like sick with dogs. And they're like, mm, maybe like our issue about who took whose pencil is not that important in the grand scheme of things because mm. there are little kids who look like us who are literally like being attacked in the real world. Um, and just so they like wrote letters and like they were really upset and like made protest signs, but they had something, they had like a healthy way to let it out. Right. And I think he's saying that like, do our kids have that outlet to like channel their frustration into something? Like okay. we don't even have like, I mean, even something simple as like a karate class. Mm -hmm. Like they're, where, where are they? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, because I mean, anger and frustration is real, especially like being eight nowadays means that like you've had eight years of seeing a lot of stuff that like mo when I was eight, I knew the world was like a crappy place, but it wasn't like in my immediate like spectrum of vision or like sphere of influence. It was there, but it wasn't, like, in my face. Okay. Now, as, like, eight-year-olds, like, everything is in your face. Like, you may walk to school and see somebody die. Yeah. You may wake up and not have food in the house. Mm -hmm. Like, you may get to school and somebody say one thing, and you've already been yelled at all day, mm -hmm. like, all morning. Um, and now you're at school and you're upset. So it's just, like, knowing that younger kids are, like, having, like, this super, like, rapid process of, like, processing all of these things in the world, like, what outlets do they have? Right. And sometimes those outlets can't be, like, a healing circle. Like, sometimes you need to give them a physical space, like, just let it out. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that he's saying, like, a lot of those spaces, like, like, we have to do the, like, psychological, like, let's talk about it, but also just, like, giving kids a space to, like, physically release. Mm -hmm. um, it has to be, like, a twofold thing. Okay. Yeah. I, that's such an important, I think, intervention on these conversations that are being had about abolition and abolishing police mm -hmm. and prisons, where it's, it's, it's a, where I think folks are recognizing that a lot of the problems that we see and the harm that's caused in our community, if you dig really deeply, we see it has a lot to do with, yeah, schools being defunded, uh, people not having housing, uh, poverty, all right, and that, that if we want to address harm, we have to address those things. But it's it's also saying that it's it's not just because people, it's not just, oh, if I give this person a better school and a, and a house to live in that everything's going to be okay, that this, it's way more profound. And, and I think about well, you, how you started where you were talking about, you know, there's this constructed lack, right? This uh, intentional divestment. But it's it's more, it's, it's not just that, like, things and infrastructure have been taken away from our peoples, but also, I mean, since black people were brought here, there's been an attack on our indigenous mm -hmm. ways of dealing with conflict. Yeah. And, and that's true for black folks. That's true for indigenous people of this land, right? Mm -hmm. That... Uh, 
we don't just have to rebuild education systems and housing, but also we, ha- we have to rebuild yeah. the ways that we yeah. deal with harm. Mm-hmm. Um, that there are alternatives, but then this is the most violent society in yeah. like, the history of the world, right? Yeah. Uh, but it's going to take a minute for us to do that work. Mm-hmm. And um, and that, that it's not about... Yeah, just give someone, like, that, oh, we just need better schools. Like, yeah. people are really pissed and hurt, um, and we're all kind of fucked up. Like, I yeah. tell uh, yeah. a lot, you know, I talk to, to friends, just like, I think every black person needs a therapist. Like, yeah. I don't know, how, what, however you yeah. feel about your mental yeah. health, like, I just suspect we all need one. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's... Uh, that's slow, right? It's not just about defunding the police. But, yeah. Um, and it's not just circles, right? Yeah. But yeah, I, I really, yeah. really appreciate that. Um, what were the main things that you learned in reading this book? Um, so for me, I feel like when I first started my research at Oberlin, I just was kind of like, I'm just tired. I was like one of those people who were like, I'm just tired of black people killing each other. Mm-hmm. And it was like this very like surface, like, I knew that like people were waking up frustrated and I knew people like didn't have food and things like that. But I didn't understand like how these things came to be. Cause like I'm only in my twenties, like the world was here way before I was alive and it's gonna be here way after. Mm-hmm. Um and so just trying to like understand like why these things have to be the way they are. Like if I have to function in them, I need to know why. Right. Like I need to know why they're here. And I think that reading this book showed me just like Everything has its purpose. Like, nothing was created for nothing. Like, everything was created for a reason. Um, and knowing that, that when I see people, like, now I know, okay, this person is in this process of their life because of this. And now that I know where they are, now I know ways that I can help that are more effective than me just, like, <coughs> randomly trying to guess. So I think this book just gave me, like, an understanding of, how criminality and like deviance became and but also like why it's still able to function Mm -hmm. and like under that comes like everything else like (coughs) prison Mm -hmm. um like all of these like weird like like preying on people like social service ish Mm -hmm. type things like where schools function under that where like family structure functions under that um, just like resources in, in general, like deviance and criminal, like all of that fits into that. Mm-hmm. It may not like directly be like, oh, this person doesn't have a grocery store, so they're gonna steal. But it's like, if this person doesn't have a grocery store and they steal, then like they're both of those things have went hand in hand for a very long time, and like now I understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may not steal the first time that they're hungry, but it's like if they constantly are hungry and constantly have children to feed. And there are, like, these weird, like, you have to fill out 70 forms mm-hmm. to get, like, social services. Then at what point in time, like, do I have to make this hard decision? Yeah. And then if I make this decision, like, prison is literally waiting at the corner. Like, as soon as I steal, I turn around and it's like, well, unfortunately, like, we understand, like, we can, like, send you a care package from all these, like, weird liberal, like, support groups. Like, we can, like, send you, but it's like, we're not worried about dealing with why you had to steal mm-hmm. and like why you felt like that was your last resort we're not dealing with why like as someone saying I'm hungry like here's 70 forms mm-hmm. and like if you can't read or write you're, you can't feed your kids because like this is the way that social service organizations work and like so it's like you're kind of pushed I feel like all of these systems are working together to push people into like very deviant spaces mm-hmm. and then getting on the news and being like 
it was the most violent summer this year in Chicago and like we have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Actually, we kind of do know what's going on, yeah. but we don't. If we were to change those things and like what would that mean for the like majority? And like what would that mean for capitalism? Right. And like what would that mean for prisons? Like a lot of people are going to lose their comfortableness. Right. Um, and I always feel like just like conversations with my mom and like my dad, it's just like at no point in time will the world like make space for black folks to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. Like no one is going to like cut that part of the world out. Like we're, gonna, we're either going to have to take it or we're going to continue to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. um, because it's not that hard to make folks comfortable. Yeah. Like it's literally just like, okay, if we know that folks who really need these services cannot read, like let's abolish these forms and like have interviews yeah. and like hire enough people to interview people. Mm -hmm. And that's not hard because there are so many people in the world who need jobs, who would love to be an interviewer. And like you would get people in and out and they would have the things that they need. Yeah. Um, but why would we do that? It's kind of like the question. So it's kind of like, we know what the problem is, but like no one's going to do the work, but black folks and people of color. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess I'm asking this as someone who also works with young people. Um, and, but I, I guess, so that, that truth, mm -hmm. uh, that moment where I remember when I was starting to, to be introduced to this, this idea of like, it hurts because the world is not meant for you. Yeah. Um, and it's, your hurt is a part of the, its design. Um, and if you're hurt, your hurt is, it, everyone's supposed to hurt, and ideally that hurt turns into something, that you do something because of that hurt that then can be used to hurt more people. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and, and that was really hard for mm -hmm. me to hear. Uh, it, I mean, I didn't, I, I, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and the, this idea of that there's no, where are you going to go in the world as a black? Like yeah. where there's, yeah. it's not just America, right? And so how, and I think I've, I've already kind of asked you, I mean, I did ask you this, and I think you've already spoken to this a lot, but just, um, I think that the history that you're saying, and, and people need to know the history of how things came to be, and that that in and of itself is a weapon, but how do you hold people through that or is it something that people sort of already know or like what, what's yeah. been your experience especially with children where you're talking yeah. about this yeah um because that can that can be a lot yeah um i just think that um just like working with younger kids in ohio which is like a whole <laughs> other beast because like ohio has like a very particular weird juvenile centered prison system which is like very young mm -hmm. and like very young for a reason um and then, like, coming back to Chicago and being a teacher, I think that, I think that, like, for me, it's been, like, a twofold thing. It's, like, the world has no space for you, but, like, as your teacher, I have to make that space. Um, and I think that being a teacher in Chicago, that's very hard to make space for black kids because I think that I'm working in a school system that is structured to not make space for those babies. Um... And that rubs people the wrong way. And of course, people are like, we have to get these scores. We have to get these scores. But it's like, if kids felt comfortable and like whole coming to school, they would do what they had to do regardless. Um, like we're forcing kids like do all these tests and all this, and they don't even like feel comfortable coming to school. Um, so it's just been like making space for that. But it's also just like, I've been pressing with my kids like accountability. Like if you are someone who hurts someone else's feelings, like you have to make space for that person. You may not, and little kids are like, I didn't even do that. I don't, uh, 
it's like, um, you may, even if you don't think you did it, if a, if someone is offended, like, then that is it, your responsibility, especially as a black person. Like, we're, I, I used to tell my kids in the class, like, we're all we have. Like, from eight to four, we're all we have. Like, that's it. I see you at eight, I drop you off at three to your parents, like, and then this time, like, we are all we have. So, if there is an offense and if there is an issue, we have to speak on it. Like, it may be uncomfortable and it may rub people the wrong way, but eventually, the more you get comfortable with just speaking how you feel, I feel like that makes for a more healthy. I think that a, a lot of things that is going on with, like, young people, younger kids, teenagers, that they have so much pent up, like, not anger, but no one has ever listened to them. Mm -hmm. And they just are, like, so frustrated. And they're just, like, people have offended me all my life. And, like, no one has made space for that. And, of course, I feel like the first time space is made, you're not just going to be like, well, since day one, like, I felt like this. And I'm just going to get it all out. But I feel like the more times that space is made, it's fine. Like, we're raising my niece to just be, like, as a four-year-old, like, you know what, TT? Like, what you said to me hurt my feelings. And I'm like, wow, okay. Like, as an adult, to hear that from a four-year-old is like, sometimes it's like, what? I hurt your feelings. Like, I'm an adult. <laughs> but then it's also just like, if, she, if her feelings are hurt, like, she's a human. And if we want her to grow up to be, like, a healthy black little girl, like, we have to, as adults, be like, you know what? Like, we're, we're sorry. Like, we're sorry that we accidentally, like, broke your toy. I didn't see it. I stepped on it. But, like, to you, that's, like, the end of the world. Like, you could never play with this toy ever again. Like, it has to go in the trash. It might have been your favorite. But it's like... I make space for her to say her piece, but then it's also as an it's as another black person, it, I'm accountable to being like, you know what? I apologize, and I think that a lot of times, especially with like older generations and younger generations, what I found is like older generations, they're not really down for the like apology mm -hmm. type situations, which is just like. I feel like with their older generation, especially like their parents and things like that, they were just like, shut up, like you're fed and you live inside and whatever you got going on. I don't, I, I personally don't have time for it because I'm trying to already navigate like this very segregated, yeah. like openly segregated, like you can't sit here, you can't sit there type world. <clears throat> and so when I come home, like I'm already drained and like, I don't have time for you to talk about what you feel. Um, and so I think that when young folks now are just like, wow, like what you said, hurt my feelings, they're kind of just like, okay, and, um, and so I do think that a lot of the trauma is, like, intergenerational, and I think that there needs to be spaces for generations to just come and talk it out, and just, like, have that space, but I also think that, like, in order for that to happen, um, there needs to be, like, some form of communication or, like, some type of healing space for folks to just heal in general, because I think that, like, I think that older generations have so much to tell younger generations, but like the dis the disconnect is that the delivery is like sometimes very, very harsh and very like not what folks are used to. And I also just feel like the young folks I've worked with like envision a completely different world than from what we live in now. Mm -hmm. And I think that like there is not a lot of space in the world for people who dream of a better world I think that sometimes as black people and even myself like sometimes I get so stuck in reality that I'm just so disillusioned with life I'm just like I don't really care like why would I wake up today and like fight for a better tomorrow if today absolutely sucks right. and like I cannot get out the bed and like I'm super tired my family is like going through a lot of things my friends like what's the point of even trying to make next week a better place 
But then it's also like young people are like, um, duh, because I'm seven and I don't want to be like this when I'm 20. Like, so shut up and like do the work. You're an adult. Like as a seven year old, I can only do so much. I'm trusting you to like do it. Like after Donald Trump won the election, my kids came back to school and were over it. They're like, we trusted adults to do their job and y'all let us down. Mm -hmm. And now we have this weird, <laughs> evil man, like, who is like taking over the world and like we can't vote. And we did like a mock vote in class and they were like so excited. And then we came back the next day after the election results and they were just like over it. Yeah. And they're like, we trusted you guys to like do your job. So like, how dare you guys not hold up your end of the bargain. Mm -hmm. Like, we're in school, we're working hard, we're trying to, like, be somebody, like, we're trying to learn all this stuff so we can, like, make the world a better place, but, like, as far as, like, actual power, like, y'all had that and y'all did not show up. Mm -hmm. Like, y'all did not do that. But also, it's like, it's okay for my kids to tell me, like, I think you suck. Like, did you vote for Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? I need to know. Because if you voted for Donald Trump, like, I gotta get up out of here. Um, <laughs> but it's fine like if you feel that way and I think that just like as adults especially if we know I think that as adults we kind of drop the ball I think that we just have to prepare the next generations to like kind of be better than we were and in order to do that like there has to be that constant like kids have to be able to check you like what you did sucks what you are doing sucks <laughs> like I just don't really like the way that things are going I think that you could have made a better decision in that and as adults we not be like well as an adult like I feel like you kind of have to be like okay and if you feel that way like then what can we do to kind of view the world in a different place and I think in that healing <coughs> will come a lot of like it's okay for me to talk like I've learned this skill that if I can talk to an adult about them like offending me then I can talk to another 16 year old mm -hmm. or I can talk to another 10 year old like, if I can break that barrier of being able to, like, talk with someone who's, like, outside of my my age realm or my classroom just about, like, what I feel like they're doing that's not working for me, then if somebody takes my toy, I'm going to be like, I don't, I don't like that you took my toy. And, like, I'm okay with that now because I've talked to someone that's, like, 30 and I told them that what they're doing isn't right and I'm super comfortable in, like, articulating what I feel. Um, and then I also think we just have to, like, make space for kids who don't have, like, the language that we like to hear. Yeah. I think that out west was like a very weird experience because there were like always press, press like covering of like random <coughs> school educated white kids like talking about how like Austin and Oak Park had this like very weird relationship. And the kids in my class, like we, we've been through that. Like my parents grew up here, my grandparents grew up here. Like I'm gonna grow up here. Mm -hmm. um, but they're never going to ask me to get on the news. <laughs> like, no one's ever going to ask me how I feel about living in Austin, even though I'm going to probably die here. Like, this is where I'm going to raise my kids. Like, I never want to leave here. My grandma's here. My great-grandma's here. I know everybody at the store. Like, this is where I'm going to stay. But, like, because I understand that I'm, like, an 8-year-old little boy from the West Side. Like, who's going to ask me to talk on the news? But, like, I feel like that voice is more valid than, like, a random person who works at like the Salvation Army in Austin mm -hmm. who's like from Wisconsin <laughs> like mm -hmm. we need to give space to folks whose voices deserve to be heard and I think that happens a lot in Chicago also it's just like sometimes I turn on the news and I'm like why is this person talking about violence when it's not like immediately affecting their life yeah 
and like a lot of people I feel like that's more a detriment that like that takes away from the healing that folks need because some people just need to be able to turn on the news and be like, oh, I know them. Like, they grew up next door to me and they're talking about the stuff that we go through and with that, like, I feel good. I may never get there. Like, I may never, I may never get what I need to get in my lifetime, but I know that there's somebody that reflects where I come from that is able to, like, be in these spaces and just say it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that there just needs to be, like, a general making of space. Mm -hmm. I think that that comes with a lot of things and I think that like as someone who's like college educated like a lot of times that space is not going to be for me um, and I don't have a problem with that but I know a lot of people do like they're like I went to school and I got all these degrees and I'm like super invested it's like I was in ra random town Ohio for four years like I missed a lot and so if someone who has been here who like didn't decide to go to college and is, has been like in a place that we grew up in like a lot of those spaces are not going to be for me. Like, yes, I grew up here. I stayed here. I went away to college. I came back. But, like, in that gap of four years, like, a lot happened. And there are people who have been here, like, a whole 23. And, like, that is who should be honored in that space. And if we want to talk about what happened when I was younger, then I have that experience. But if we're talking about, like, what happened in the immediate, I don't have that. And, like, I don't feel bad about, like, stepping back. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people don't want to step back and I think that's what he's saying about kids like it should be the kids like it shouldn't be us it should not be like we should be training the kids to get up there and just say what they need to say and like we should be there to support them like we're standing behind you like you don't have to feel scared of like the cameras and everything but you just need to speak your piece like I shouldn't be like having my kids write letters and then me as an adult getting up and reading those letters. Like the, they should be eight year olds reading. Mm -hmm. It's their words. Like I'm just here as a facilitator. I don't need to be in the front. And I think that with that will come a lot of like kids really deciding what they want the world to be for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot. It's what he's talking about. Okay. Yeah. So I'm hearing we'll have two final two main questions left in around. One is like, who should read this book? Uh, and, and, and I think within that, so you're a teacher and an organizer. Yeah. Um, maybe those are the people that should read the book. But what I'm hearing is that I think you're helping to define some of the roles and responsibilities of uh, responsibilities of a teacher and an organizer mm -hmm. around. You know, you're not there to go and be a spokesperson. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, <clears throat> some of the things I wrote down... <clears throat> excuse me, are so, you know, helping to teach conflict resolution skills, first and foremost by being a model of mm -hmm. apologizing mm -hmm. and being accountable to young people, um, uh, helping to facilitate individual but also intergenerational trauma and healing, uh, providing political education that mm -hmm. helps people acknowledges the, the righteousness of their anger yeah. at the world and their frustration, uh, but points it. Uh, to yeah. the the the, yeah. the white supremacy that makes it the way it is, and then to make space to for folks to sh just tell yeah. their story and their yeah. truth, um, and that seems like a very excellent to do list. And yeah. but are there other things? And then on top of that, so so those are some of the roles and responsibility of facilitator and teacher. But then also, are there other folks that you recommend read this book as well? Um, so those two. In one. Um, I think I think anybody who works with black or brown kids should read this book, but more specifically black kids. I think that older generations should read this book. I think we just need to understand 
a lot of the things that we've been complacent in, but also just like, what does that mean for the next group of folks? And I really think like for me, this book, I feel like this is more for like parents. And I think that it's more for parents now. And I'll be super interested in like trying to make this book a little more like accessible through like language and like length. Um, and just like really boiling down to like the important points. Because I do think that like, especially like my younger sister's a younger parent and she's like very frustrated with the fact that she like has to be a single mom. Like it wasn't her choice. Um, somebody kind of made that choice for her. But she's like very frustrated constantly and like she really is trying to not like place those health unhealthy habits onto my knees. But then it's also like there needs to be a space for you to just be like, I didn't choose like I had somebody who was in it with me. Like we, we created this beautiful child and like we had plans to be together and we had plans to do it and then like a choice was made by some random outsider to like take his life. And like I don't think that she has that space. But I also don't think she has the language to just be like, he is not here anymore, but now what can I do to make sure that young like 21 year old moms like me understand what's going on um and i think that if you sit down and talk to her she has a lot of the insights of the book but i think that sometimes folks just the world that we live in i think that people always are gonna need like some type of like theory behind it which is a crappy way to look at the world because it's like people should just be able to speak from their experience and that should just be it but i think that if we have like a group of young parents who I already know what's going on because it's a lived experience, but also like have can like spit theory. They're gonna be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, like that. People are gonna be like, mm, we have like all these radical young parents raising these like radical kids, who not only are like in it, like literally wake up and they're like physically in it, like economically in it, socially in it, but also like if you ask them stuff, they're like, well, in 1965, like this dope group of parents was like doing this and this, this and this. And then you're going to be like, wow, like, we can't refute that. Like, not only do you know your stuff, but, like, you also know everything that has happened with folks who come from the same places you come from and know stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would feel weird sharing this book with <laughs> anyone else because I think that, like, there, I feel like when books like this are written for a specific community, there's also this what about us type. And, like, we're not all like this, but it's like you're missing a point. Like, the point is, it's like, this is an immediate. This is what's happening with folks. We don't have time to, like, boil this down to apply it to everybody else. Like, sometimes you just have to be focused on the community that you're from. And, like, that, that is okay. Um, so I would be super interested to see, like, how parents would apply this to their younger kids. Mm -hmm. I feel like that'd be a pretty, like, radical space. Because then they also, I feel like... I feel like my younger sister is more prone to listen to another 21-year-old mom than she is her older sister. It's like, I don't have kids. I don't know what that experience is like. Like, I don't know what it's like to lose a partner. Um, but, like, she'll go find community and space with other 21-year-old moms who, like, have lost their partners. And, like, their kids can play in a healthy space. And, like, they can have conversations and it be okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that would be, like, holding space but also allowing them to, like, consume knowledge in a way that makes sense to what is important to them. Um, and I think like this conversation about like their kids' mental health is super important to young moms because they're like, we just want our kids to be healthy and happy little kids. Like we don't want them to have to do all the things that they have to do. Um, so I think that'd be a cool 
space. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I agree, and I'm yeah. really, really excited about uh, sharing this book and the things that you're saying and, and building out programming yeah. that does yeah. exactly the work yeah. that you're naming. Um, we're at time, so I wanted to, to have you wrap it up, if you would, with a, a quote or a passage from the book, cool. that, and we'll, we'll, we'll trail off with those words. <laughs> cool. Um, so, I think this is page, this is part of the introduction. It's the second, no, it's not. It's the fifth page of the intro. Um, and so let's see. Um, it says, as we make people powerless, we promote their violence rather than its control. Deeds of violence in our society are performed largely by those trying to establish their self-esteem, to defend their self-image, and to demonstrate that they too are significant. Regardless of how derailed or wrongly used these motivations may be or how destructive their expression, they are still the manifestation of positive interpersonal needs. We cannot ignore the fact that no matter how dif difficult their redirection may be, these needs themselves are potentially constructive. Violence arises not out of superfluity of power, but out of powerlessness. As Hannah Arnett has so well said, violence is the expressions of impotence. Black-on-black -black criminality and violence represents quest for power and outrage protests against a sense of powerlessness and insignificance. They are protective fetishes, fetishes used to defend against feelings of helplessness and vulnerability. Black-on-black -black violence is reflective of vain attempts to achieve basic positive human ends in a negative environment by negative means. It represents an optimist guided furious struggle for self-affirmation by many African-Americans who are entangled in a white American-spun spider's web specifically designed and constructed to accomplish their disaffirmation. Black-on-black -black violence and criminality are rooted in positive white American values, a rational quest for power, prestige, possession, affection, and acceptance among peers so as to secure illusionary reassurances against anxiety, self-contempt, and feelings of inferiority. They are rooted as well in attempts to protect against exploitation by others, also caught in the same rapacious social environment generated and sustained by agrarian white American veterans. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Lit Review, a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement. We are your co-hosts, Monica Trinidad and Paige May, two Chicago-based organizers. Special shout out to The Lit Review's very own sponsor, the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership out of Kalamazoo College. Keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next Monday, same time, same place. Want to hear about a specific book? Email us at thelitreviewchicago at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at litreviewshy. Keep, Keep reading! reading.